Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. And you can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we got Ishmael Johnson in the house, and one other thing that uh, that Ish and I want you to do is we want you to go to texasbasketball.com and make sure and pick up a copy of that basketball magazine. Yeah, definitely. We got most of everything up on the website now, um, so we got every individual team preview, men's and women's basketball, up on texasbasketball.com right now, so you can go read those for each individual team. Uh, this year, of course, including Tarleton. Uh, written by our very own character Corey Hogue. So yeah, hopefully we're going to have, uh, by the end of this week, we should have all the content that we're going to be putting on the website up on the website. Man, it, I'll tell you what, that is definitely a weird thing, like all of a sudden having to add Tarleton to all the Division One stuff, because I had to write the uh, the pre for the football magazine too. Obviously, you know, it didn't come into play, obviously, with things going mm-hmm. the way that they went. But man, another Division One team, it's it's a little bit of an adjustment yeah, it's 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 kind of like, I don't know, I guess Tarleton was always big enough to where we kind of talked about them anyway. I mean, kind Definitely. of like, you know, with maybe with commerce and stuff like that. So it wasn't that big of an adjustment, but there is like that, that like extra level of preparation now where you're like, okay, well, they get a page in the magazine now, right? Where right. it's like, instead of a little section in the... Uh, in the the small college preview now it's like okay right. well here's here's the full-on breakdown of their offense defense and things like that um so yeah it's, it's it's been fun to like adjust a little bit more to be like all right here's another school talking about them on the same level as you know uh, sam houston and uiw definitely definitely and and i will tell you what i mean tarleton state fans have been some of our most vocal fans as we've uh, mm-hmm. as we've done football coverage even when they were Division you can see two. you can see why the push came to go d1 definitely definitely so we're excited about that um, but we're going to jump from that to some not-so-great news. Another game has been postponed. This time, it's UTEP versus North Texas, which, by the way, I, I will say, for how heavy this weekend is, this isn't the worst weekend to, to happen, because we were up to 10 games this weekend, which is pretty insane. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. It's pretty insane when we get to those numbers. Um, but, you know, obviously, our, our thoughts and pressure with everybody in the city of El Paso right now, obviously, COVID cases are really exploding over there. We kind of figured that this there was going to be a good chance that this would happen. I mean, as early as late last week, I think even this weekend, <laughs> there was still plans to have fans in the stands at this game. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just obviously a very serious situation. And, and I'll add on to that. I, I mean, we're seeing now, too, obviously, the Big Ten came back last week. We've already seen our first cancellation of games there uh, as Wisconsin has postponed everything and canceled everything for the next seven days. So, I, I mean, look, I think that obviously we knew that this was going to be a factor coming into this season, but still, uh, second UTEP game postponed, it's, it's a little bit tough to watch. Yeah, definitely. I know uh, Matthew Bruin tweeted out that, you know, uh, UNT offered to play the game in Denton and then pay for travel expenses for UTEP to try and get the game played. But, mm. of course, I mean, UTEP... It didn't make, or I'm trying to rephrase. I, I can see both both sides, right? UNT wants to get the game done, so they, of course, would offer courtesy, you know, give the courtesy of paying for travel expenses and say, "Hey, come play it over here. We'll get this out of the way." But UTEP, of course, doesn't want to give up a home game, so they want sure, to reschedule sure. it. So um, that's that's kind of the negotiation going on right now. Yeah, and the thing that I'll say too, right, is that. Obviously, it's very gracious of Nortex to offer to pay for the travel expenses, but I can't imagine right now trying to travel 
to or from the city of El Paso, you know, just sure, because of sure. how bad things are, you know, because it's it's just, you know, we've heard obviously with a, with a situation like Baylor uh, the last couple of weeks, right, that, that just somebody having it and not catching it can really be disastrous for, for an entire program. And obviously, you know, just in terms of spreading the virus. So um, I think it's the, I think it's definitely the right decision to postpone mm-hmm. this game. Um, you know, what we've heard is, and what conference USA has said is that they're going to prioritize rescheduling conference games. Right. And so you'd imagine that uh, I, I don't know if, if conference USA has fully set the date um, for when their conference championship game would be, but you'd imagine that like with the big 12 and, and I think the big 10 as well, they're willing to go all the way until December 19th to make it happen. So, uh, so UTEP has at least two weeks after that on December 5th and December 12th that are open dates for them. Uh, and so they're going to prioritize trying to reschedule division games of which both North Texas and Southern Miss are. So we'll see how Conference USA handles it. Um, you know, but obviously this is in so many ways bigger than football, um, mm-hmm. just with the situation going on over there. So, uh, so look. Like I said, our, our thoughts are with the people of El Paso. Hopefully everybody's doing okay. And hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully UTEP is, is doing a good job of trying to contain it within the program. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and move on. Uh, we've got a great interview today. We've got Parker Fleming. If you don't know who Parker Fleming is, uh, he's one of the best TCU analysts that you'll find out there. You can find him on Twitter at Stats of War. He's a contributor for Football Outsiders. He runs a, a newsletter called Purple Theory that you absolutely need to check out. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back with you guys after the break. We're now happy to welcome on a special guest. We've got Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter, contributor for Football Outsiders, and also runs a newsletter that covers TCU and Big 12 football called Purple Theory. Make sure and check it out. But really, we just kind of know him as Internet Man and, uh, and Tweeter. So, Parker, how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well. Happy to be here. I've definitely been called worse things than, uh, than Internet Man. So, uh, yeah, that, that's totally fine. <laughs> well, uh, to us, you know, you're one of the the most fun and interesting TC balls on Twitter. So if you're interested in TC football, definitely check him out at Stats of War. Uh, and look, I think that obviously TCU has been a little bit of an enigma to start the season to us. Um, you know, so I guess to get things started off, uh, what have you kind of thought so far about TCU? And, and why do you think they've kind of been as all over the place as they've been? Yeah, it, is, it has been a crazy season for TCU. So, of course, uh, people familiar with the Big 12 will know that about August, uh, during some routine health screenings, TCU found out that Max Duggan, uh, quarterback, had a heart condition that was of unknown severity. And so re- possible outcomes ranged from medical retirement to, uh, you know, sit down in your bed for two weeks. And, and fortunately, after some expert work by some doctors, it, it was closer to sit down in your bed for two weeks. They kind of sidelined him. And so he's back. Uh, he wasn't able to play the, the first half of the Iowa State game, which kind of gave us this insane dichotomy of uh, st- uh, not, not just performance on offense, but styles. TCU showed a lot of looks in the first half with the, a, a backup quarterback that um, they, they have not gone back to this entire season and, and frankly would have been kind of exciting to see, see with Max Duggan in there. Um, but, but so TCU kind of had this bipolar game, almost comes back and wins against Iowa State, but couldn't get out of the hole they dug. And, and everyone kind of left with the, the taste in their mouth that, you know, when Duggan's in full time, this offense is going to look really, really good. Um, they roll the next week into Texas and do what TCU does to Texas in the Big 12, which is wins inexplicably on the back of a couple turnovers that are, that are extremely well-timed. Uh, Texas has the ball 
with time waning uh, on TCU's goal line and, and fumbles, and, and TCU's able to uh, recover that and, and win ultimately. Um, and, and so, again, uncertainty. We don't know. T- we know that there's a constant there. Uh, but, but you come to the Kansas State game, TCU cannot move the ball. TCU's offensive line cannot block uh, anyone to save their lives. And TCU just stalls and ends up losing one of the most frustrating games um, in, in, in recent memory. They play Oklahoma. Oklahoma gives them opportunities to compete. TCU's offensive line struggles, and TCU refuses to compete. So ultimately, we kind of had this wild roller coaster let's settling into yet another familiar TCU story, which is the defense is very good, although it does have a couple falls this year. But the offense doesn't have all the pieces it needs to be a fully functioning unit, and that's leading to some some frustration. Yeah, I'm wondering, speaking on that a little bit, a little bit of the frustration, one of the things that I expected this year, in addition to Max Duggan maybe taking a step forward, was was the emergence of a very deep and reliable running game. And that has not happened. I kind of, my, me personally, I maybe assume that it would be a combination of Barlow and Foster. Um, but it seems like they're, they're not entirely confident with those two guys, at least consistently. We've seen Kendra Miller get in there, which is a shock to me. Like, I, I like him. But, I mean, a guy from Mount Enterprise coming in and getting D1 FBS carries in his first year uh, is, is insane to me. Uh, Zach Evans, obviously, we're waiting for him to maybe get up to speed. But I thought this was a, you know, a reliably – three to four to potentially five man stable in the backfield. And, you know, we're almost halfway through the season and Max Duggan's a leading rusher, you know? So what, what have you seen from the run game? How much of that is them not knowing the talent right now, or maybe is it offensive line issues or a combination? Um, well, so, so I think it's, it's really important to note one, Kendry Miller has looked great. Um, uh, not, not so much in pass protection. I have a couple of tweets up recently where, he, he almost got Max Duggan killed in the Oklahoma game a couple of times. Um, but, he, he, you know, he's looked really good at rushing. Um, and, and I think ultimately where this kind of comes down to is, is, is distribution of opportunity is kind of the guiding principle for TCU for the four older guys. I think you can absolutely see Gary Patterson's fingerprints on the offense uh, it, through, I guess, Jerry Kill, who was hired this offseason to be the offensive head coach, in saying, hey, Amari uh, De Mercado is going to start. He's kind of the experienced guy. We're going to see him out there first. The, the, the targets have actually been uh, almost uh, exactly equal. So uh, with, with, uh, in terms of rushing attempts and passing uh, attempts. And so the, the depth of talent is absolutely there in the running back lane. Uh, a lot of this is, is just the offensive line getting manhandled. Um, you know, if you go back and you watch TCU's film, you ultimately look at, uh, you know, they'll, they'll bust around the end. They'll have an edge sealed and three guys will get blown back and running back gets tackled. Three yards is the ceiling on that play immediately. And so there's some struggle there. Um, I have TCU at negative, negative 0.48 EPA per rush expected points added just a measure of, you know, kind of how explosive and efficient are you all in one. So a really stagnant rush offense from a, from a team that nominally is that rushing is a very large part of their game. Um, I will note Zach Evans in garbage time against Oklahoma it looked really, really good in the passing game. And uh, I think that's a dimension that's been unexplored in TC's offense that I do believe they're willing to kind of ease in. Again, they, they don't necessarily trust uh, a young guy so to, to get so involved and so dramatically different than they've gotten running backs involved in the past. But I think Evans' usage is only going to go up over the season. Well, you know, it was only a couple of years ago, right, that TCU 
had five offensive linemen that went and played in the NFL. You know, I mean, this has not been something that's been a consistent issue. You know, it's really been in the last year or two or three that we've really seen this inconsistency on the offensive line. And, and it doesn't seem like recruiting seems to be the main issue. It seems like they've recruited all right. So what's going on there? I think it's a mix of a couple things. Um, one, so last year, this is my favorite stat about 2019. And by my favorite, I mean my least favorite. Um, Lucas Niang opted for surgery after the Texas game and was out for the rest of the season. That was six games through. So six and six, you have, you have even samples there. In the first six games, Max Duggan was hit 11 times per game, which is still more than I would like. But, um, uh, you know, not not insane. And uh, – or he was uh, pressured uh, 11 times a game, sorry. And in the second half of the season, he was pressured 23 times a game. Uh, just an, an absurd uh, disparity there just by losing one piece. And so you have these yeah, guys right who's- tackle too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what happened is then they had to shift. They So they shifted the left guard out to right tackle and they moved the left tackle left guard and they put the backup left. They moved it, because I won't say individual names because I'm really not trying to dog on right, college right, players right. who are training hard and doing their best. They just- they did not have the pieces on the offensive line and, and Yang was help, able to kind of help them hide a couple guys uh, really well. So this year, I mean, TCU went out and got Brandon Coleman, who was one of the highest rated um, uh, Juco transfer offensive linemen. They went and got TJ Stormont who started 12 games and received like a 78 uh, offensive line grade from pro football focus last year for Colorado state. And, uh, and so brought both those guys in and, neither of them have really seen time. So I, I don't 100% know if that's, um, you know, realistically, if that's their talent didn't translate, if that's they're not up to speed on the playbook because, you know, COVID disrupted the offseason. Uh, it, it's worth noting TCU did change offensive line coaches and Chris Thompson, who is an excellent offensive line coach, uh, went, went to Florida State. Uh, but but uh, And so Jared Anderson is coaching offensive line and he is not necessarily an offensive line guy. So I'm sure there's some issues, especially with the shortened season. The last part of that is that TC's offensive line has been asked to do dramatically different things than they have in the past. Uh, a lot more zone, a lot less pulling, although this year that's, that's changed a little bit from last year. But for instance, 2017 featured um, Austin Schlottmeyer and uh, uh, Patrick Morris, who are two all-time great TCU college linemen. And they would run kind of center and guard traps back and forth, left and right, all over. And just have these really athletic interior offensive linemen. The style of offensive linemen that TCU has developed, it, it doesn't really reflect that ability. And so through, one, they haven't been asking them to do it. But two, they haven't really uh, had, the, had the guys who are that comfortable moving around. Um, Wes Harris, I think, with some more time could become that kind of guy. But of course, he's out with a broken jaw. So you combine a lot of instability with uh, some some untimely injuries and some coaching changes that may not have been upgrades, uh, and then you're you're really looking at an offensive line that is that is the the absolute unequivocal weak point for TCU's uh, offense. When we have seen the offensive line be able to do its job, um, you know Max Duggan has looked solid. Like I really, I especially that second half against Iowa State, um, I thought he was really good against Texas for the most part, and. Obviously, we saw what happened against Kansas State when he doesn't have the time, he doesn't have the protection or the help around him. Um, they kind of had a, a mercy benching on his behalf um, to just preserve him and, and uh, have him for the rest of the season. But, you know, what are the numbers saying about about Duggan this year when he does have this time to to work and, and his improvements? Because last year, I mean, me and Shahan would discuss weekly about, like, is he the guy? Is he a placeholder? Is he someone who's just kind of a – 
a, a baseline standard college quarterback or is he somebody who TCU can build around for the future and keep and, going? And I was the optimistic one. I love it. I, yeah, I, I, was, I was the I 100% say, customer. I will say. I was like, is this – Is I mean, I think the phrase – I think the, the comparison of Case McCoy came out of my mouth a couple of times. I was like, what is this guy? Because I don't know. Like, from I him, was from like, him. All him, from me, me, from me. No, no I'll, I'll, I'll gladly uh, own up to that. But it was definitely like, okay, is this guy who they're just asking to throw a ball and maybe kind of run around? and that's it or do they think he's actually somebody who can develop and so far yes this year he has shown to be a lot better than what I thought he was last year okay I just want to let you know you have you have opened the floodgates and <laughs> you're going to have to you're going we to have to hit the eject button too. yes <laughs> we could do a five-hour Max Duggan podcast if you want so the first thing I'll say uh Shiana, I don't even know if I've told you about this we had uh, Pro Football Focus's Anthony Treesh on our podcast. And we have this segment on our podcast, Purple Theory, that Grant does called Say Nice Things About Max Duggan. And so we had Shayan on the podcast back this offseason. We did that, and it was kind of funny. We said this to Anthony, and he goes, is before the season. We say, Anthony, can you say nice things about Max Duggan? He's a national writer for Pro Football Focus, analyst, all this. And he goes, uh... And that was his exact response to say that Max Duggan. I was like, get out of here. You're off. Um, so, yes, last, last season, the big thing you got to remember for Max Duggan is that he was expected to be at best third on the step chart, right? Right. Yeah. Sean Robinson, Justin Rogers, potentially Mike Collins if he doesn't transfer, uh, Alex Dalton transferring. Like, Max Duggan probably should have redshirted 2019 in an ideal world. And so he gets, uh, you know, not asked just to, just to start, but asked to run for his life. Um, and so a lot of TCU's offensive success last year was because on third and long, Duggan was able to scramble and, and find a first down and extend a drive. Um, so last year, I think it's really hard to get a clean idea of who he was. He wasn't very accurate, but he was also getting asked to throw a lot of like goes and 17 yard outs. And there's just a lot asked of him. So this season, I think Max Duggan has shown that he is going to be one of these four-year, very good college football quarterbacks. Um, I, I think all last year we had to defend him and say, look, it's not that he's good right now, but you realize Trevor Lawrence is the exception, not the rule. For the vast majority of college football programs, you bring guys in on, co on college campuses, you ramp up their usage over four years, and then those, that last third and fourth year, uh, or if they redshirt as a quarterback, you know, fifth year, like Spencer Sanders, his, his fifth year, he's going to be really, really good at Oklahoma State. You kind of build these progressions time over time, and, and time really is that compound interest on success. Um, and so Max Duggan hasn't had that, uh, hasn't been afforded that opportunity. So my favorite stat about Max Duggan um, is, is kind of this adjusted completion percentage. So if you, you know, just go to ESPN, look at the box score, you find completion percentages, passes over passes attempted. Uh, and so what adjusted completion percentage does is it throws away, throw, uh, it takes out throw, throwaways, uh, which, which you forget to do sometimes. And then it also accounts for drops. So if you throw a catchable ball that's a drop, it gives you credit for that. So Max Duggan is currently ninth in the nation at 78.5 completion percentage. The knock on Duggan last year was he didn't have accuracy. His, his adjusted completion percentage last year was like 67%. Even though TC was dropping a ton of passes, he still wasn't very accurate. This year, his accuracy has absolutely improved. His confidence has improved. Um, he took a shot against Oklahoma to Blair Conright that was so close to being a catch but wasn't. It was incredible out of the back of the end zone. And to see Duggan step up and do that has been really, really great. Um, that being said, there's another external ceiling being imposed on him because the offensive line has just let him get abused. So Kansas State, you mentioned, he was grimacing the entire game. There's a couple balls that he threw to, to wide open receivers that bounced that Duggan was just like, I'm sorry, I can't feel my arm. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do right now. Um, 
And so I think Duggan took a, a bigger step forward than I expected this year. And he has a, just a dearth of talent around him. Uh, did I use that right? Dearth, uh, plurality, uh, surplus of, of talent around him. And, uh, and so he's been able to connect with some of those guys like Quentin Johnston, but, uh, but the, uh, the offensive line has really, really imposed a ceiling on what he's been able to do. Um, and even then he's still completing passes at a better than he was last year. His, his vision looks better. Um, his confidence is up all, all across the board. So I do want to take it to the defense just for a second. Cause I know that so much of the talk has been about the offense and their issues, but you know, I mean, I think realistically, right. Like, Gary Patterson defenses, their whole deal is they finished number one in the conference in defense. And it's only four games in, still very early. But, you know, right now, TC was number seven in both scoring and total defense, right? And I think that, you know, that first game against Iowa State, I'm sure played a big part with a lot of those broken plays and stuff. But have you seen something? I, I mean, I think that a lot of us going into this year thought that this was going to be a bit of a breakout opportunity for this defense. And it, it really not even hasn't just happened but it's kind of been regression even in some ways since last year. It really has. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, as, as much as I am opposed to monocausal uh, diagnosis, like, well, you know, one thing is the issue and everything else is fine. I, I think we're pretty close to monocausal here. The defensive end play has been as poor as it has been in the history of TCU. Think back in your, in your mind to uh, TCU defenders that you can remember Matt Bozen, um, uh, is, is like the worst of those. And he's still a name that you really remember from TCU of these like, hey, very good uh, defensive end play. The 4-2-5 Gary Patterson's defense is predicated on elite defensive end play, both in the pass rush and in run defense. Non-existent. The defensive line has been underwhelming on all fronts. Um, it has been, it haven't gotten the quarterback. They have struggled to make tackles and that has put a lot of pressure on the secondary. Fortunately, the secondary is very good, but here's the thing. When a runner is getting five opportunity yards every time and it comes down to a, an open field tackle, you can make 97% of those open field tackles and still get torched on big plays, which is largely what's happening to TCU's defense. On average, they're very good. Of course, they got fooled by the leak against Lincoln Riley. Um, but then again, Noah Daniels was out and Keon Stewart came in at cornerback. And so, you know, you can, you can write off some of those like, hey, Oklahoma's going to move the ball. They didn't score 60. TCU's relatively been able to hold people pretty generally to keep it competitive. Um, but those big plays are a result of, of really two things. One, kind of that the, the open field volume as a result of, of poor defensive line play. And then two, Matt Campbell had something on film that was hilarious. I mean, not from a TCU fan standpoint, but uh, in the Iowa State game, he had a receiver run this route and block in a certain way that just the, the safety couldn't make the tackle. Um, and so, you know, you, you go back to that and say, like, okay, that's, that's unfortunate, and, but, it's, but it's fixable, and, and TCU hasn't gotten burned in that way uh, kind of going forward. So with, without elite defensive, defensive ends and defensive line play specifically, uh, or, or generally rather, um, it's really, really hard to run this 4-2-5 just because you're asking the back, uh, you know, seven guys to do so much. And, and even if their hit rate is really, really high, when they miss, it's going to penalize you. You can follow Parker at Stats of War on Twitter. Please subscribe to his newsletter, Purple Theory. Uh, you can find his work at footballoutsiders.com. Parker, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, look, we'll get into this a little bit later in the program, but uh, this Baylor TCU game this weekend should be pretty bad. So I'm excited to watch it. Fans of, fans of weird football will have a good weekend, I, I do presume. Uh, thanks so much for having me, guys. This is great.
Thanks again to Parker Fleming for jumping on the program with us. Fantastic stuff. Uh, always fun. You know, we haven't had a real deep dive into TCU so far this season because of, in a lot of ways, how erratic <laughs> they've been. But but nobody knows TCU better than Parker. Yeah, definitely. No, that was a, that was one of the one of the better discussions we've had, I'd say. Yeah, no question about it. But that said, it's time to get into games. Like I mentioned, we got a lot of games this weekend, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to book it a little bit more than we usually do. And sometimes <laughs> we we like to stick around and talk about everything. Oh, trust way. me, there are some games where I'm like, yeah, we can you know, whatever. <laughs> hey, the thing that I'll say, uh, every game up through 3 p.m. has a line that's five or less, so that makes it a okay. little tougher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I will definitely ask you uh, who you think is favored in some of these games and what the line is, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna start with one where I don't think that you'll need to know who's favored. UTSA goes to FAU, 11 a.m. on FSN. FAU is a five-point favorite heading into this game. Yeah, that does not surprise me, but actually five is really good. I actually really like that line. Um, Yeah, it's a good line. Because it gives respect to FAU obviously being the favorite, but I think it also shows how capable and formidable UTSA is becoming. Definitely. Um, even despite injury. Um, I think I am going to go FAU, though. Um, okay. okay. To cover pretty, I, I don't, comfortably, you know, I'd say probably a touchdown. Um, I just feel like their team speed is going to be a little bit too much. Um, UTSA is a well coached team. Their game plans have been basically A plus for most of the season, um, especially last week's when they realized that. They had a hard cap on the passing game. They decided to just basically become a running offense like they do when Frank Harris steps behind center. Um, I do wonder how effective that's going to be against a team as athletic and, and fast as the FAU, though. I believe that they might be. I mean, aside from BYU, I feel like they're probably the fastest team they're, they're going to face um, this season or have sure. one of. Um, and so I just feel like that's a little too much to take UTSA. So here's one thing I'll say. UTSA is heading into its eighth game. FAU is only heading into its third game. Mm -hmm. So their first two games, uh, against Charlotte, they pull off a four-point victory, and against Marshall, they get beat pretty bad, but whatever. Marshall's really good at football. Um, And the other thing that you say, too, is that this is not a team through two weeks that's done a good job of uh, getting the football downfield. Uh, FAU's... FAU's only averaging 4.7 yards per pass attempt right now, uh, and... You know, look, they, they are a consistent team. Like you mentioned, they're a very fast team. They they find different ways to get their playmakers the ball. I mean, even though they've only played uh, two games, like I mentioned, they've already got four guys with, with double-digit carries. So this is going to be an interesting test, I think. Um, and, and I think the big thing is it's going to be an interesting test of UTSA's discipline because I really don't mm-hmm. think... I really don't think that uh, that FAU is going to be able to go over the top of this defense. Um and and so for me, right? Like I look at, I look at these two teams, and when I look at what I feel like the best unit for each of these teams is going to be, I, I really feel like UTSA's running game is going to be the best unit on the field. And we saw that last week against Louisiana Tech. Obviously, sincere McCormick with thirty-seven carries. He's currently leading the nation in rushing. And if I may say, uh, keep your eyes on TexasFootball.com tomorrow, where I'll have a story on sincere McCormick. But. Uh, to me, I, I think that Sincere McCormick and that running game is the best unit in this game. Now, 
like you mentioned, they're going to have to contain well. They can't give up. Uh, they can't have mistakes. They can't have lapses uh, on defense, which has been an issue at times for this team. But they've played everybody that they've played close. And I do think that, you know, I think arguably their last four games, uh, you know, maybe three of the last four, not Louisiana Tech, but I think that three of their last four games were against better opponents than FAU. So mm-hmm. I think that I think that UTSA has a really good chance to go and win this game. Again, it's on the road. That's never easy. But I, I think that I'm going to pick UTSA to cover, and I think they have a real chance to win outright. That's fair. Moving on to number two. There's something about this game that pisses me off, by the way. Houston versus UCF, 1 p.m. UCF is a two and a half point favorite in this game. Do you know what channel it's on? Oh, God. I get, let me see. Um, is this on? Okay, so that kind of reaction makes me think it's not on TV. I'm going to say ESPN 3. ESPN Plus. Oh, it's worse. You got to pay. Like, <laughs> yeah, you got to pay extra. Houston versus UCF. Are you kidding no, it's me? Not like, even, it's not even on the free online one. Oh, no, no. And, and like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think that in general, obviously, we're going to long term be moving towards ESPN Plus, like all, all right. of this. But I mean, I let me let me pull up the TV schedule real quick. But like, <laughs> you cannot tell me that whatever is on TV in the 11 o'clock slot is better than this game. Right, like, I don't know. That, I think we're still on that getting the Big Ten uh, on TV as much as possible kind of thing. Who cares? Who cares? All right, I, I will yeah. give ESPN credit. They've got Memphis at Cincinnati. That is a legitimately okay. great. That game. is a great game. Yeah, that's a great game. ABC, you got Clemson. They're playing against Boston College. That's not uh, better than this game. Right. No. E- ESPNU, you've got Coastal at Georgia State. An okay game. Okay, like, I, I, I'll, I think it's they're putting they're putting Coastal on. I'll give them right. That. Right. Uh, and, and obviously this this I assume is an ABC rights game, obviously. So that's you, mm-hmm. know, you, you can't say. I mean, on ESPN two, you got Kansas State at West Virginia. I think this is a better game than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Fox, Fox. I mean, look, they, they got to get the Michigans on, but Michigan State just lost to Rutgers. I really don't know if we need to be watching that game too closely. But anyway, all that to say. ESPN Plus for Houston versus UCF is a travesty. Uh, it's now I will say it's not the biggest deal for me because that's an easy one for me to get because I have ESPN Plus. But right. come on, this is this is national TV worthy exposure. But, come on now, yeah, exposure. Uh, so again, the line is UCF minus two and a half. What are your thoughts? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, my gut says about that. I, I, my gut says UCF probably minus three. Uh, sure. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit more than three, but UCF. So they've been interesting this year. Their defense sure. has not been good at all. Their offense, no, no. has been very good, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. they can't stop anybody. And they've struggled. They could have had a great win over Memphis. They competed. They, they put away Tulane, but again, they allowed thirty-four points. And Tulane is not a team that's going to necessarily rack up a lot of yards. Um, they're going to do it on the ground, but they kind of did it through both. Um, and they scored a lot on East Carolina and Georgia Tech, but again, they haven't really had a game where their defense has, where they've played two phases very well, both phases very well. Um, I think that plays into Houston's hands, obviously, but I think what we've seen of both teams right now, I would trust UCFs to maybe win a shootout. Sure. Well, Dylan Gabriel through his first five games has been unbelievable. Just just right. ridiculous. Through five games, uh, these are his numbers. 2,176 yards, 19 touchdowns, and two interceptions. He threw for 600 yards against Memphis. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? That's, <laughs> On that's 71 absurd. completion. 
for That's absurd. I, I mean, those are incredible numbers. And like, yeah. I think that a lot of this, I think a lot of this game comes down to how you feel about what UCF did against Tulsa. Like, obviously that was a disappointing game, mm-hmm. but I think that other than that game, they've looked pretty electric so far this year. And, um, you know, like you mentioned, their offense, I think that they have a real case that their offense has been the best in football this year. Just a, you know, I mean, obviously you kind of throw a Clemson into that and an Alabama into yeah, that. Pound but for like, pound. Yeah, pound for pound, I, I, pound for pound. I think that UCF has as good a case as any of, of mm-hmm. being one of the best uh, best offenses in all of football. Now, the thing that I'll say, though, too, is that I think that Houston is not only just the best defense that they've played, I think that Houston's far and away the best defense that they've played. I don't think they played yeah. anybody close to as good as Houston on defense. Um, and and offensively, I mean, Memphis is better than them, but I think that, that Houston's offense is also better than almost every team that they've played so far this season. So, yeah, th- this game's really tough. I think that that line is really good uh, with that two-and-a-half-point line. Um who I think I think that I'm going to pick UCF to win. Mm. But yeah, I mean this game could go so many different ways. I, I, the only <laughs> thing that I'm confident about with this game is that there's going to that whoever wins this game is going to score over 35 points. That's pretty much all I know. That yeah, that no, I I totally get that. Um I don't think I mean, yeah, Houston's defense is good enough, but I think that they're just I don't want to say overmatched, but this offense is ridiculous. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find their SP plus, but I'm fa- uh, UCF, but I'm failing to find the updated one. Okay, so they're so they're ninth in offensive SP SP plus, and they're fifty sure. sixth in defensive. So like they are obviously elite on offense, and then pretty painfully average on defense, which is right. a very odd dichotomy. But um, meanwhile, Houston is thirty fourth. Okay, on on SP plus offensively, uh, very reliably. And seven, ooh, seventy second defensive SP plus. Really? Yeah, I still think I still think your point stands that they are the best defense that UCF has seen so far. But that is an interesting point. I did not that's, think about that. That's pretty surprising to me. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, that's fair. I mean, it, it is worth saying. I mean, I'm wondering how much of that skews with the first halves against Tulane, right. right? So I mean they were pretty they were pretty bad in those two games, uh the first half once but once they kind of, you know, obviously shirt up, um, they looked a lot better. But again, you can't necessarily erase those performances. Yeah. I, I if it's me, I'm not overthinking this, right? Like I'm sure. I'm not overthinking this. I think that Houston's still going to play very well on defense. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, I, I do think that I do think that UCF wins, but I think this ends up being a really close game in a shootout. And honestly, I mean, it would be a huge win, I think, for Dana Holgerson's program because, you know, I've mentioned this countless times at this point, but, you know, they go UCF at Cincinnati, a respite against uh, South Florida, but then SMU, Tulsa, Memphis, right? So, mm-hmm. so this would be a huge win, I think, in terms of them getting to where they want to go. So let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we don't need to talk too much about this game. Rice at Southern Miss, 2 p.m. on ESPN3. Southern Miss, uh, they're a one-and-a-half-point <laughs> favorite, but here's the deal, right? Uh, if you if you are an avid reader of TexasFootball.com, which you should be, uh, you, I'm sure, read my story earlier this year on Scotty Walden and his rise. Uh, here's the deal. Well, somebody, Scotty, read, somebody read your, your story on it because they were really yeah. impressed with Scotty Walden. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, apparently we got a lot of Austin P fans reading uh, TexasFootball.com because Scotty Walden is now the new head coach at FCS Austin P, which congrats to him, credit to him. Uh, you know, 
30-year-old full-time Division One head coach. Fantastic. Uh, so <laughs> Southern Miss is on their <laughs> second interim coach, their third overall coach of the season. Um, which, which, by the way, I might mention uh, former Texas high school football coach Tim Bill. Yep. So how about oh, that? okay. Yeah, yeah. Paris L- North Lamar was his last stop. So uh, yeah, that's weird. Um, <laughs> God. So so let's, I do want to talk about that for like a brief second. Like, yeah. Obviously, we kind of it's weird. Obviously, right? Like you you just bail on a team and you go take a head coaching job. That's sure. technically a demotion. Um, if you want to talk just about you know stature of play and level of play, but the thing that I mean, me and you kind of speculated was that they had to have told him that hey, you're probably not going to get this job. Right. Right. And so no, that was imagine. the only way. That the to me that's the only way it makes sense because if they don't if they hadn't said anything then i don't i i just don't see why you would do it um unless he was unless they didn't tell him directly and he just read the tea leaves and he was like oh i'm definitely not getting this job and so he just said screw it i'm going to go take this other offer which i mean austin Pease had success with hiring young coaches you know will healy came from there um who's now at charlotte so they decided to go back to that well but yeah that was it's definitely a <laughs> an unfortunate uh tire fire going on in hattiesburg over there by the way, by the way, you might know the answer to this, but do you know who the last head coach, like full-time head coach at Austin P was who he is technically replacing? So I said Will Healy. Who was hired after Will Healy? Uh, Bobby Petrino? No. I don't know. I was Come just on, trying man. to think of a, I was just trying to think of a name. Mark Hudspeth. <laughs> Really? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Wow. How about that? How about yeah. that? So, <laughs> but, Sorry, I uh, just threw Bobby Petrino's name out there just to be wild yeah. ass for a second. <laughs> <laughs> That's Missouri State. I understand the confusion, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Um, so, congrats, to Scotty Walden. I think that uh, I think that the amount that we've talked about Southern Miss in this uh, in this preview tells you about how much we know about what Southern Miss is about to be this weekend. <sighs> yeah. Um. You know, and. Uh, yeah, this was already going to be kind of a weird game. Um, regardless, I to me to me, I understand what happened last weekend. I'm still pretty encouraged by what I saw from Rice. I thought they really started to figure it out in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, re- regardless of how many doinks might have not gone their way, and so to me, I- I'm going to pick Rice. I- I'm going to pick out- Rice outright. I-, I do think that they're going to go on the road against the Southern Miss team that. You know, you feel terrible about this. That has had two coaches quit on them so far this season, um, and uh, and I, I just think that Rice is going to be far more motivated and in a better place. And, and I think that Rice is going to pick up this win. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. I'm with you there. I think that the Scotty Walden was there. I mean, Southern Miss has obviously looked like a pretty okay team, surprisingly, considering how quickly he got the job. But ha- asking them to do that again <laughs> um, is pretty. Pretty pretty big. So I'm gonna go with Rice as well, uh, outright because they looked pretty good once they decided once they settled in last week. And obviously the doinks and crazy mishaps last week are what people talked about. But I think the bigger story was how okay they looked despite coming in with a month of not playing. No question. So uh, moving on, <laughs> I mentioned it earlier: Baylor versus TCU, 2:30 p.m. on ESPN2. Can you hmm. guess the line of this game? <laughs> Uh, I gotta look at the records. Okay, so one and three and one and two. I'm gonna go the Baylor minus three and a half. TCU minus two and a half. 
Really? Uh, sure. All right. So, so <laughs> the funny thing about this game, right, is like, I think in so many ways, these are two teams that are kind of in the midst of chaos right now, right? And I, right. I don't think that... I mean, I don't think that we've talked about either of these teams all that much on on this podcast because of a lot, (laughs) a lot, Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest. But, you know, TCU, I think, is getting a bump because they beat Texas, but they're a fumble away from being 0-4, right? Like, now now granted, they've played, I I don't know if you call them the four, four of the five best teams in the conference, maybe, Iowa State, Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, right? Like, so they've Mm -hmm. played a really tough opening schedule so far. Um, you know, and Baylor, the only reason that they have a win is because they play Kansas, obviously. Right. Um, you know, but but obviously, uh, you know, Baylor against West Virginia looks really bad. Against Texas, they're coming back from COVID and look obviously a whole lot worse. Yeah. Uh, what is going to happen in this game? <laughs> um, so both teams are going to attempt to play offense. Um <clears throat> Charlie Brewer is not going to throw for eight yards. Um, Max Duggan also might not throw, have time to throw for eight yards. Um, TCU is probably going to run the ball 80 times. Uh, I think Parker made, might have hit. We were talking to Parker about that too. Um, and some defense is probably going to have to make a aggressive play maybe a scoop and score or pick six or something. Cause like, I just don't see how this game isn't like 20 to 14. <laughs> right. So I'll say going into this one and I mentioned a little bit with Parker, but John Lovett needs to touch the ball at least 20 times in this game. Right. Like mm. I, I don't understand why they've gone away from the run so quickly. Like I know that their line was in a bad place and, and they were worried about it, but he had some success when he touched the ball uh, against Texas. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that both of these teams, they really need to find a little bit of a running identity. And I will tell you what, Parker's going to kill us if he, if he hears us say that we, that both teams need to establish the run. Cause, cause that is exactly <laughs> the opposite of his brand. But, um, but you know, just run on first, of... second down, throw on third. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I think that really the, the issue is for especially Baylor, but both of these teams is that it's not that you strategically in an ideal world want to run every first down, but mm-hmm. I just think that both of these teams are running the ball right now better than they're passing the ball for a variety of reasons. And so I will be curious to see if they do that. Um, yeah, I, I think that Baylor's defense has played a little better than TCU's to start this year, but they're mm-hmm. pretty comparable, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I, I think the big question is going to come down to whose defensive ends play better you know whose defensive sure. ends kind of imposed their will because because we talked about you know all the issues on the offensive line for tcu we've obviously talked about tcu's issues at defensive end um and you know if i if i'm being perfectly honest i think that if one of these defenses makes a big play that swings the game i think right now i'm more confident in baylor's defense doing that than tcu's that's fair that I, I i don't have an argument against that um I think the difference... So, yeah, I'm trying to figure out, like, usually... <sighs> both these teams in their in their wins and in the games, they looked good, right? For TCU against Texas and then the second half against Iowa State, they ran the ball a lot, right? Uh, they, they kept the ball away from Sam Ellinger, and then when they kind of established Max Duggan in the second half against Iowa State, they were still able to throw some balance at it. Obviously, he contributed to that. 
Baylor the same way against Kansas. They got uh, they got the running game going. I think they ran almost like forty five times uh, throughout the game, and it, I don't know. I don't know how effective that's going to be against their each other's defense. <laughs> and right. so that's I, I. It's weird to say that I don't know what to expect because I know the exact type of game I'm going to get, <laughs> but right. I don't know who's going to come out victorious in that. And I, I think I would lean Baylor just because their defense has been better overall right right so yeah who the hell knows um this is going to be one <laughs> regardless of the worst... no one scoring 24 yeah I, I will say this is uh this is the game i'm going to this weekend and i knew going in i knew the second that i requested the credential that i was going to see one of the worst games in football this year and damn it that is exactly what i signed up for i expect they send you game. a confirmation like are you sure you want to come to this game well, well, I will, I will say, I'm gonna knock on all the wood around me that uh, that so far I've been credentialed for two Baylor games, and they were the two that were canceled. So you know, <laughs> so honestly, if I if I see if I see a seven four football game, that'll be the best Baylor game I've been able to see all year. So. Oh jeez, that's oh boy, oh boy. Anyway, uh, so you know, watch that one if you want to see some chaos. Uh, moving on to a game that is that should be an actually good football game. Texas going on the road against Oklahoma State, 3 p.m. on Fox. Oklahoma State only a three and a half point favorite in Stillwater. That's weird. It feels low. It feels really low. Um, I don't know. Like, is is part of it like uh, is part of it Vegas thinking Texas has its groove back a little bit? <laughs> That might be part of it. The other thing that you say is that Oklahoma State, I'd argue, has only played one good team, and that's Iowa State, and sure. they won by three. You know, I mean, I'm wondering if it's maybe like a, looking. They're asking maybe Spencer Sanders to prove a little more because sure. he's Which he looks fine. He's only been back, you know, one game, but he, you know, he didn't play that great against Iowa State, so right. maybe it's a little bit of that. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I just don't see what you would. To me, it has to be Oklahoma State pessimism as opposed to anything optimistic about Texas. Well, it is interesting. And I mean, look, obviously, there are a lot of Texas outlets on the internet. But I was a little surprised how, I I don't even know if I want to use the word optimistic, but like, I guess how optimistic Texas was, like Texas fans and, and media were after the Baylor game, right? Like, I felt like that game was so much about Baylor not being able to do anything so I was right. a little surprised with sort of people kind of being like, "No, this was this was Texas running the ball consistently," and this was, and, and I just I don't know, I didn't feel like that was the case, right? Like I didn't feel like yeah. I didn't feel like they showed me something. And and the thing that I say heading into this game is, you know, Texas scored twenty seven points and had their worst offensive game of the season against a really good Baylor defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Oklahoma State's defense is better, and. Obviously, I mean, I think that their offense is much better, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and, you know, so I, I don't know necessarily what Texas winning this game looks like. Because, you know, Oklahoma State held Brock Purdy to 162 passing yards. And Brees Hall had a big day. But, like, you know, they, they kind of did a good job of taking away that pass with their veteran defensive backs. And if Oklahoma State is able to take away the pass in any major way... I mean, Texas is in big trouble to me. Sure. I, th- I think thinking more about it and remembering the game last year, I can kind of see what they're thinking about. Um, 
because Spencer Sanders is has been turnover prone. Uh, last year, you kind of attributed that to him being the guy for the first for his first time, but even then, he it, it took a while for him to really kick on, and he really never really hit the ceiling that I think that they hoped. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, thought that the year before, you know, uh, was it Drew Brown? Or who, who am I yeah. thinking of? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he started, I think, for some of. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was Drew Brown. It was Drew Brown. And so, like, I think that was like a placeholder year, and it was like, okay, well, this offense is going to kick on with Spencer Sanders, and it just it kind of hasn't they've been good like it's a mike gundy offense and you you know they're putting up numbers they're doing things okay but they hasn't really taken off i think people expected him to be that next great oklahoma state quarterback and right now he hasn't um and i think that first game against iowa state again a good team so i'm not trying to say anything take anything substantial away from that but first start of the season came back and he looked a little bit of the same and so I'm wondering if that's where they think this game maybe comes into play for Texas, where you're facing a quarterback who turns the ball over against a defense who, you know, struggles to make plays, but you don't you 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 don't necessarily have to be good at making plays if you face a quarterback who's just not good at uh, holding onto the ball. Right, but you know the, the flip side to that too for me is that Oklahoma State, you know, Spencer Sanders turns over the ball twice. Uh, Texas averages more than seven yards per play. I don't see either of those things happening in this mm. game, you know. So, I, look, I, I think that uh, I think that my challenge every week with Texas is go out and prove me wrong, right? And right. Sam Ellinger's done it plenty of times. Obviously, I mean Sam Ellinger is the best player in this game in a lot of ways, but I, I just don't see I don't see the path, right? Like I just don't unless mm. unless Spencer Sanders throws a bunch of errant passes, which I do think you know that's the, that's the one thing is that he wasn't afforded the opportunity to make a bunch of mistakes last week because they were able to just kind of run the ball right like Mm -hmm. um and and that's the big thing for me well I guess I guess he did throw two picks last week but you know I I think that if they can keep uh keep Spencer Sanders under control for the most part I mean I really think that this Oklahoma State offense could have a big day against Texas and and I don't think that Texas uh you know I don't think that their offense can do the same so yeah I mean, I'm we'll taking see. Oklahoma State either, so I'm yeah. not. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Gonna, <laughs> no, I think I think it could be Oklahoma State by uh, by like ten. Honestly, I mean, this is right. again, this is easily the best team that Texas played this year, and they haven't looked that good against a bad team. So, um, moving on to Texas A&M versus Arkansas, six thirty p.m. on SEC Network. A&M, a twelve and a half point favorite in this game. Twelve and a half. Do they know the history of this te- this game? <laughs> I am assuming not. Oh man, that is. First of all, give me Oklahoma, give me Arkansas to cover that. Um, yes, just because the, there's yeah, nothing makes sense in this matchup ever. <laughs> um, but I do, I mean, I do think, I do, ugh, excuse me, I do think AM wins. Um, I am curious how the last time they played, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of a way to word this. Uh, you, I'm trying to figure out a way. You, you go on you. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, think of a way to word yeah. my point. Well, here's the deal, right? Texas A&M is going to win this football game. That's what happens every year. But the other thing that you say is that if you set the line at 12 and a half, Texas A&M has covered that line twice since mm. moving to the SEC, right? The last two mm. years, Arkansas has won zero SEC conference games, and the wins were by four and by seven. And now mm. you're telling me that when Arkansas is team chaos – that they're going to suddenly get worse at that? I, I just don't see it, right? Like, 
again, Texas A&M's going to win this game. They're not going to feel good about doing it, but they're going to win convincingly. It's not going to be in question. I think that they're going to have a good day. But again, this is that's just what this Arkansas team does. They've gone out and they've caused issues for people, and they've made the game ugly for their opponents. And I don't understand the thought process. Now, I, I do think that this is obviously A&M's best team since, you know, 2013 or 2012 or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think that I, I still don't see the logic to thinking that, all right, this is the moment they're going to flip the switch and win by two touchdowns. Right. Yeah, no, I found a way to word it. Uh, Isaiah Spiller's going to run all over that ass. Um, yes. <laughs> that's basically it. I mean, every look at. I mean, Arkansas is not good against a run. Like they haven't been good against a run. The one, mm-hmm. the one game they did, they were. Congrats, you beat a Mike Leach. You held a Mike Leach team to no rushing. Like I don't. Right. Mike Leach is disgusted at the fact that you would think he would rush against you anyway. But like that was the only game where they were effective against a run because they didn't. They played somebody who doesn't run. So like every other game. Even the games they won, right, against Ole sure. Miss, they still had over 200 yards, almost 250 yards on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I just don't trust them to slow down Isaiah Spiller. And then when AM has balance, I mean, now you're opening the floodgates because now Kellen Mond's going to have the freedom to, you know, throw. I don't want to say he's going to light the field on fire, but he's going to have the freedom to do be effective and, and move the ball enough to where you, they're going to, they can't really uh, gamble and, and, you know, not put aid in the box or you know just leave everybody on on an island so yeah i I think this is the more i talk about it the more i want to make this a double digit game but i just know the history of this game and it's not going to be that (laughs) the final score will be exactly 28 to 20 and arkansas (laughs) will have the ball at the end and they'll have a chance to go and drive and tie the game and then the the ball's gonna snap over no, I was gonna say right. the ball's gonna snap over Felipe <laughs> Frank's head, and then Demarvin yeah. Leal's gonna Demarvin Leal's gonna pick it up, run it all the way to the to the five, and then get tripped up or something, and then that's gonna be the game. <laughs> and then they're gonna kneel it out, correct? Right. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yes, uh, again, Anam wins this game for sure, but like this is the chaos matchup. I I don't. I, Somebody in Vegas is not doing their job right now. But uh, So moving on to SME versus Navy, 6.30 p.m. on ESPN2. SMU a 13-point favorite in this game. And um, I wrote about it in a piece today a little bit. But, you know, it's, it's kind of funny all the parallels that there are to last season with this team. Because, you know, they, they kind of have a big performance and then Reggie Robertson goes out. They mm. play a really good team and have a disappointing performance. And now, like last year, they play against Navy, right? Like that yeah. that happened last year too, and that was kind of the that was kind of the oh, okay, this is going to be a good season, but like it, we're going to end slow, basically, right? And so mm-hmm. this year, you know, this isn't an eleven and two Navy team like it was last year. This is a Navy team that's about average. Like they they haven't been bad. They've actually I think been better than I expected in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but um, but they're not a good Navy team. So right. to me. 13's a lot. I think that I'd probably set it more at like 10, but um, but I think that SMU not only needs to go out and win this game, I think they need to go and win convincingly. I think they will. Um, SMU's been a team that starts pretty okay. I mean, last week, the thing that caught us off guard against Navy and with with Houston was how Houston was seemed okay for the first half to basically play Navy's game, right? They mm-hmm. They really couldn't put their foot on the gas to put the game away until the fourth quarter. And when they did, okay, cool. Now you're, you know, you get up 10 points and all of a sudden Navy's out of the game. I think SMU has the ability to do that. Um, I think that 
I feel like we're going to see this game get, I don't want to say out of hand, but out of hand for Navy pretty quickly. Sure, I would not sure. be surprised if it's 21-7 pretty quickly and then this game ends maybe within the, the margin, the, the spread margin. I do think it's SMU slightly covers, um, okay. but I don't think it's, I don't think it's massive. I think it's probably an insurmountable 17 to 14 point win around there. Sure. 17 or 14 point win. Sure. Uh, and, and the one thing that I'll say uh, uh, just heading into this game is I really want to see who steps up as that workhorse running back. Yes. That's really been the big issue uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, because the funny thing about it is that uh, I, I crunched the numbers and not all of them made the piece that I put up today. But the big issue last year was they really leaned on Shane Bouchelle to kind of go out and win them games. And he's a really good quarterback and he's won them a lot of games, but they mm. kind of got away from what they are identity wise. They, they rushed uh, far fewer times per game. They averaged 40 fewer yards rushing per game. And last year it was really almost a game plan decision where they kind of lost faith in their running game, even though it was working. Mm-hmm. Whereas this year, obviously it's been more that the rushing game hasn't worked. So I want to see, uh, I want to see Tyler Levine play a bigger role in that run game. I want to see Tamrick Williams have a chance to get in there. Um, you know, yeah, it wouldn't even hate seeing some of those other receivers get some tries in the backfield, just see what works. Cause I under- I mean, again, it's tough, right? Like they don't mm-hmm. have a ton of running backs on their roster, but you really need to find a guy who's going to pound the ball at least 15 times a game. And, and uh, and have a chance to kind of get you some tough first downs. And that guy can't be Shane Bouchelle, which, sure. which he kind of was against Cincinnati. Right, right. And, and I feel like Navy is a team to do that against, a team that you're going to have a size advantage over, right? So if you find mm-hmm. that workhorse running back, you know, that is somebody who's going to – this is a game where they can really take advantage of that. Definitely. So uh, I don't think we need to talk about this next game too long. Uh, Texas State versus Louisiana, oh, 7 p.m., ESPNU. They put that on TV? 16 and a half point favorite. Yeah, you're putting UCF versus Houston on ESPN Plus and then being like, you know what would be fun? Texas State, Louisiana. <laughs> uh, what's the line on this? Uh, 16 and a half. Yeah, um, it's about right. Um, golly, I don't know. I don't want to go full pessimistic Texas State fan, but I feel like Louisiana covers that. Um, I just don't know what gives me optimism right now for Texas State. This this is going to be a weird comparison that that just shows that I'm I've obviously started to be around the state long enough to remember dumb things, but this reminds <laughs> me a lot of 2018 UTEP, where it was just like week after week, it was like, oh, yeah. that was a one score game, that was a one score game, that was a ten point game. That's okay, right. they're gonna break through, and then it just never happens, you know. Mm-hmm. And and um, again, obviously, I think that this team is a lot better than that team. I, I want to be clear about that, but it's just again, right now they're one in six. They play Louisiana app, uh, Arkansas State, and Coastal, right? Like, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe Georgia Southern is the equivalent of that Rice game a couple years ago for UTEP, which again, this is this is a comparison literally just for me. But uh, but you know maybe that's the the moment where like they kind of have that like okay things came together for one game, but like I don't know they're trending the wrong direction and and not because they lost by a lot to BYU that doesn't bother me at all, but it's just sure. it, it's just I don't know it just feels like it's slipping away. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I feel like all the momentum. Like you said, they're turning the wrong way. They started so strong and then even continued, even held that for a little bit, right? We can talk about, you know, maybe some 
little disappointments here and there, like in the way they lost UTSA or the way they let Boston College back in or things like that. But they, they were still playing at a, a level of expectation where you were like, okay, let's hold them to the standard. And then it's just slowly gotten worse and worse. And it's starting to be the similar trends of previous years where, you know, Brady McBride looks like a more talented quarterback, but the offense still isn't clicking for some reason. Um, and, you know, he's it's starting to become more of a trend of him, you know, rolling out of the pocket and doing a Johnny Manziel thing, except it's not really working. And so it's like, okay, well, what's the use of freelancing if the freelances don't work? And so it's a lot of a lot of jumbled mess right now. And I feel bad because I do still think those receivers are very, very talented and there's just no way that they're getting the ball as much as they should be. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I still want to be clear. I mean, I think we talked about this a little last week. Like, I'm still very optimistic about what Brady McBride could be, but it, it just really does not seem like it's happening this year. Like, like mm-hmm. it just does not seem like it's coming together. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, if, if the season ends 2-10 and 10 or 1-11, and 11, like, I, I'm not going to feel just the worst about this team still, right? Like, I mm-hmm. still think that I saw what they can do, and I feel like they're going to have a good 2021, but like, it's just hard to see it right now. And yep. Louisiana is freaking good right (laughs) louisiana is really really good their only loss right now is to coastal who obviously is ranked right now and you know they beat uab who's really good uh you know and they've they've beaten iowa state already so Mm -hmm. yeah i I just don't see it happening so um moving on uh last game of the weekend we've got texas tech versus oklahoma night game in lubbock 7 p.m on fox Oklahoma a 14 point favorites. That is too much. It is a Halloween night in Lubbock. Give me Tech to cover that. I do not know if they're good enough to win, but I do know that they are good enough to make it very very scary. Um and with this new ball control offense apparently with Henry Columbia, um I I like their ability to hold on to the ball and keep that explosive offense off the field. I don't know. Like I think it's a very favorable matchup. Um, again, I don't know if it's good enough to win, but I, I, I don't know. I like it. I, I, what are your thoughts? Cause I think this is a, a game where tech could be very much leading because they're not letting Spencer Rattler touch the ball. Yeah. I, so, I mean, we're, we're not on video obviously, but I'm kind of doing like the Jeff Bridges nodding gifts over here. <laughs> like, like just looking at this game. Right. So, so this game, you know, I mentioned Baylor TCU as being like terrible team chaos. This mm-hmm. game is awesome team chaos to me. Right, so, 100%. <laughs> so night game in Lubbock on Halloween, like you mentioned, right? Oh my gosh, and, I'm, yes. Yeah, and so here's the deal. The way that Oklahoma keeps losing football games is they have a strong start and then they start making tons of mistakes, just mm-hmm. tons of mistakes. Uh, and the thing that you say about Henry Columbia and Texas Tech is that they are not making mistakes with Henry Columbia in the game right Mm -hmm. they've done a really good job of not turning the ball over of like you mentioned holding on to the ball the other thing too is i i will call it right now there will be at least one wild ass special teams play that texas tech makes in this game because here for that yeah that they've done that at a really high level the first couple weeks of the year and again i mean i I think that there's a lot of reason to believe that oklahoma has kind of turned a little bit of a corner but I, I mean, look, you still look at Spencer Rattler, and, and this is a guy who's turned over the ball a whole lot this season, right? And mm-hmm. and the other thing that you say, too, that, that makes me really optimistic about what Texas Tech can do is that Texas Tech last week against Letty Brown did a great job against the run. And mm-hmm. Oklahoma's 
really struggled running the ball this year, except for against TCU, because that makes sense. And so if you can force a turnover to off of Spencer Rattler, if you can hold Oklahoma to its season average of 3.7 yards per carry, and if you can do enough on offense to keep the ball moving and, and again, make a crazy special teams play or force a turnover, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say Texas Tech wins outright. Ooh, nice. Okay, I will go go cover. I'm going to say cover. You take them outright. We'll (laughs) stick with that. But I do – the other thing I wanted to bring up was – so we talked about – you talked about uh, 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 holding on to the ball as far as uh, not turning it over. So the games in which Henry Columbia came in, they've also just held on to the ball. Yeah, yeah, Like their, their time of possession. So against Kansas State, 31. Against Texas, well, of course, of course, was Alan Bowman, 25, and that was also a shootout, right? 25 minutes, so there was like those just back and forth, back and forth. But then you go, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it right now. The West Virginia game, mm-hmm. they held the ball for basically 30 minutes, right? And like they're again sustaining drives, being able to not have that three and out, right? He's not. He, they're not going onto the field and coming right back off and sending that defense, that liability, uh, back out there. They're giving that defense chance to rest. And against again, against a quarterback who we know can turn the ball over, Spencer Rattler, you need your defense as alert as possible. And when you have a quarterback who you know is going to get you one, two, three first downs a drive, boom, man, we are cooking. So uh, I did the numbers uh, for a story that I did uh, last week before mm-hmm. the West Virginia game, but I do have some updated numbers after uh, last week's game as well. Okay, so go for it. Henry Columbia has driven 22 times, right? Alan Bowman mm-hmm. did 27 before he was pulled, uh, and I'm not counting Houston Baptist. Uh, right. You know, obviously, I don't think that's I don't think that's helpful. Um, right. So Henry Columbia has started with the ball with. 10 yards worse field position than Alan Bowman did. Uh, he starts at the 23 versus Bowman at the 33. Uh, he, his drives average 7.5 yards per play to Bowman's 4.7. His drives go for 43.1 yards to Bowman's 25.5. And this is the real kicker. His time of possession in these games uh, is just under three minutes per drive to Bowman's 137. Golly, that's so. Such, I mean, like that—that's yeah. it right there, right? It's boomer bust versus just consistency. Right. And my God, we have time of possession Texas Tech. What are we? What world are we living? Yeah, in? <laughs> yeah. And and the other thing that I'll say too is that um, is that Henry Columbia has scored touchdowns on 36 percent of his drives to punting only 31% of the time versus 25 to 48% uh, for Alan Bowman. And like, and again, I, I always want to preface this stuff with like, I, I'm not taking a shot at Bowman or like, you know, sure, it, it's just sure. the offense just has run better with mm-hmm. Henry Columbia in the game. And, and that's why they made the change. Right. And yeah, it, it's, I mean, the numbers are pretty shocking, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty jarring to see that. And the big thing, right, is that Henry Columbia's probably going to only throw for like 180 yards in this game, right? He's not going right. to throw for 400. That's, <laughs> right. that's not his deal. Last week against West Virginia, he threw for 160. But he just, you know, he makes that four-yard run. He mm-hmm. make, you know, he hands the ball off on that uh, on that RPO when he sees the right read, right? Like he just keeps the ball moving. And the other thing that you say about that West Virginia game, and and I actually I need to go after this and try and figure out um, who exactly will be available. But but Texas Tech was without almost all of its top receivers last week and uh, you know tj basher was out mclean mannix was out i think that they were down five receivers uh for various reasons and so it was a bunch of freshmen getting out there uh and playing at a high level and and henry columbia was just doing enough so 
again, I what's going to happen <sighs> now? Making it hard to not do this and take them out right. Uh. So, so here's it. I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen now that I've said all this. Uh, Texas uh-huh. Tech is going to lose forty-seven to seven. It's just going to happen. It's going to just something's going to go horribly wrong, and it's going to be all my fault. But <laughs> damn it, I I see the vision, and I got I got to ride with my gut here. You know what? Screw it. Tech outright. Halloween Woo! in Lubbock. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Halloween in Lubbock. Oh, man. It's been it's been a good long while since we've had a total, like, Lubbock game. You know? Like, oh, yeah. We, we came close with the, really, both both uh, Jet Duffy games a couple years ago, right? Mm-hmm. In 2018 with Oklahoma and Texas. But we haven't had, like, a real, like, take somebody's pants off Lubbock game in a long time. <laughs> and... Ooh, I mean, this I know that. It. I think this is it. Yeah, and and granted, I think that it's fair to say that Oklahoma's probably not like quite good enough for this to be a total like ruin somebody's life Lubbock season. Mm. But uh, but this, I mean, I think this will more than do the trick. So, <laughs> oh, all right, all right. And now, now we've put it all on the line. So so this this is gonna go really badly. But <laughs> but uh, like we mentioned, nine games this weekend. A lot of fun matchups in there. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm definitely excited to see what happens. So we'll definitely. be back with you guys on Sunday to to figure out exactly how poorly our predictions went. Uh, but like I mentioned, you can find our basketball magazine at textbasketball.com. Uh, hey, if, if there's one team this week that our Honda helpers over at North Texas Honda dealers could help, who needs the most help this week? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. I mean, part of me wants to go to Texas, Texas State, but um, <laughs> right, I'm just right, gonna say right. send them, send them with you to Baylor TCU because I, we're gonna, we're gonna, gonna need that. no matter the result of that game, we're gonna need somebody's gonna need help doing something. <laughs> Yeah, I hope that. Uh, I mean, we'll have to we'll have to give our friends a call. But I, I'm wondering if North Texas Honda dealers is anybody who's six five, three hundred pounds, because both of those teams <laughs> could desperately use somebody to play tackle for them. Oh man! Or if somebody can, if, if uh, TCU's uh, defensive ends can maybe use something. What's their <laughs> no, What's their shuttle no. time? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, maybe I, I don't know exactly how you know. We'll, again, we'll need to we'll need to clarify with uh, with our friends over there how exactly this works. Like, do they get a sixth lineman? Do they get a third defensive end? I don't know exactly, but but uh, yeah, we'll make sure and, and <laughs> hook Baylor TCU up with some uh, Honda helping hands. So thanks as always to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. Become a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. Uh, and for Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shahan Jayaraja. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you guys after Halloween night in Lubbock. <laughs>